Well, I know my daughters want to hear this more than anybody, but children are dismissed. (laughs) And they all said, hallelujah. (laughs) All right. Well, go Bears, right? So I woke up this morning before everyone, took a shower, got dressed, thought I was looking pretty sharp, asked Sophia, my three-year-old, how do I look? And she goes, ugly. (laughs) Nice. So, so much for that. I guess I won't be speaking to the younger generation today. So we're back in Ecclesiastes. Um, Well, first let's open up with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for young children and the joy that they give us and the smile that they bring to our life, Lord. And we thank you so much for your word and the wisdom that's contained in it, the knowledge uh, and the knowledge of you, Lord. We thank you that you have given us everything we need to live abundantly in this life, to do your work so that we may have everlasting life through your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. So if you can remember back, this has taken already probably two years to get to chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, but we started out in Genesis. And you often think, why would you start in Genesis for Ecclesiastes? And the reason is, is because you have to come to grips with why is everything meaningless under the sun? And you start there because you have God saying everything is good. So how did we go from everything is good to everything under the sun is meaningless? And, and you see that we have chapter 3 of Genesis and the fall. And you see that man wanted to be more like God. And Adam ate the fruit not because it tasted good, but because he wanted to obtain wisdom and knowledge that only God had. He wanted to be more like God. And so this first act of disobedience, the first transgression of man, was at the center of our problem today, is that we want to be more like God. That's exactly where Adam was going with it. As a result of this, Uh, Satan was cursed for deceiving Eve. Eve was punished for her her part in the role of being deceived and eating. And when the curse came to Adam, it wasn't a curse upon him, but a curse upon the earth and upon nature itself and humanity. And no longer was food going to be provided for him but that the ground was going to be infertile and he was going to have to tend to it by the sweat of his brow. And so we see this strife and toil that's going to come into life at that point as a result of man's attempt to get to to be like God on his own. But in this, God promised one. He promised an offspring to Eve. One that would redeem man from his curse from the curse of the ground. And we see that throughout Scripture that this theme of the Redeemer comes up again and again. And so although we see that the earth was cursed and that we come to Ecclesiastes and we see the teacher 
saying everything is meaningless under the sun because of this act of disobedience, we see that there is also a promise to something greater. So the teacher, Solomon, starts out by, by, with his thesis that no activity we do under the sun is of any meaning. It's, it's meaningless, it's purposefulness, it's a vapor, it's a chasing after the wind. We are not going to change the nature of humanity, the, nat- the cursed nature of the earth, unless we are redeemed, unless we're doing some activity that in some way goes above the sun and is what God wants us to do and is part of the redemption of mankind. And so he first takes a look at pleasure. So does pleasure give meaning to life? And that's what chapter 2 is all about. So he starts out with foolish pleasure-seeking, living the high life, partying, getting drunk, just enjoying everything, laughter and foolishness, just really getting into that aspect of life. And he finds that when he sobers up every time that there's this longing, this emptiness, that he did nothing of value. For a fleeting moment, he had happiness. But when he sobers up and wakes up, it's the same dread that was there before. The strife and toil, the oppression of life is still there. And then he says, fine, foolishness wasn't the way to go. Let's seek pleasure through wisdom. Let's build giant palaces and plush gardens, have men servants and maid servants, concubines and harems. Let's live it up to the, to the most. I, I'll work hard. I'll toil. I'll build great things. Have, store tre- have uh, gold stored up and silver stored up and herds and cattle and, and you name it, I'll have it. And he obtained great wealth. And then he looked at it and he said, you know what, I'm going to die and all my strife and toil is going to go to some snot-nosed kid that's going to ruin it all, just waste it away. And so that too is meaningless. And so now we come to chapter 3. And, and he, he changes our attention from the pursuit of pleasure. And he did conclude that Living the wise life is better. That wisdom is better than folly. But it still leads, if you're living under the sun, it still leads to the same result. That you die and you you have nothing to show for yourself. And so, we come to chapter 3. And, and really, when I talk about under the sun, I'm talking about the box, right? If you look at from... Uh, the man's standpoint, we live in a box. And if we're not looking outside this box, so we weren't created, we just evolved, and we, we came from matter, there is no God, we live in this box, and we see that something's broken inside this box. And so in order to have purpose, we need to fix what's broken in this box. We have oppression, we have starvation, we have... You know, you name it, we have issues. There's the nature of humanity is in some way corrupt, but without God under the sun, we're we're in this box. And so let's talk about time, how it relates to in this box. And 
So after pursuing pleasure through partying and the lifestyle of work hard and play harder, uh, finding no purpose in all his toil, the teacher focuses on the purpose of all of man's activities in relation to time and death. With limited time as death awaits us, what activities can we do under the sun that will bring purpose and meaning to our lives? And so we start with chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and we see that all of life's activities are beautiful in its proper time. A life lived in obedience to God will be reflected by the beauty of your actions. So there is a time for everything and a season for every activity. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to keep and a time, oh, excuse me, a time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So this is maybe one of the most famous poems in all of literature. I mean, it's been reprinted and spoken about many times. And, and it, in some way, it, it really speaks to us, and, and we're not always sure why. But we realize that, that, it, that it's true, that there is a proper time for every activity. And this isn't talking about the cyclical nature of time and how events repeat themselves. It's not talking about the linear uh, concept of time. No, it's talking about our position in time. That time is a constant reminder of our mortality. That when it says a time to be born and a time to die, our life is, is defined by birth and death. And God set this into motion after the fall. Because there was no death before the fall. And so we have to know that God did this for a reason. And so before, before death, time was set by the sun rising and the sun setting. But there was no thought of death. There was no, we live life day by day because we don't know what tomorrow brings. There was, we, we do the purpose of God, the sun rises, the sun sets, we expect this to go on forever. But now, time took on a different meaning once the, the act of disobedience occurred. Once Adam ate that fruit, tried to obtain uh, his stature as a god, or in some way elevate himself to God, Time changed and death reigned. And now we, now we are trapped in time from birth to death. You, you know, you don't, when you're young, you don't always think, you always think you have all the time. You know, you're never going to die. You feel like, you, you know, you feel almost immortal in some sense. And then as you get older, and especially once you have children, 
you see that time just flies by. And you realize, you know what? It's not going to be long because I was just where they were. And I remember, and it feels like yesterday. And it's not going to be long until I'm old and having trouble getting around like my parents. And, you know, you you can see that your life is now being defined by time. And you start asking these questions of, you know, what have I done? And what am I going to do? And what is the meaning and what is the purpose of life? You know, when you're young, half the time, when you first have kids and everything, you're just trying to survive. Because, you you know, you've got the chaos at home, your work stinks, you know, you're low man on the totem pole, and, and you haven't figured out everything yet, and you're striving and striving. Half your efforts are completely wasted because you spent your time doing the wrong thing. And you don't know what the right thing is to spend your time on or the wrong thing is until you experience it. And so, you know, this time that defines us. A man's activities done under the sun are all in futility, but his activities done above the sun endure time. The obedient man's activities will endure time as they are God's activities and not his own. So let's read verses 9 through 14 here. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity into the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for me than to be happy and to do good while for men to do happy to be happy and do good while they live that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toil this is the gift of God I know that everything God does will endure forever nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it God does it so that men will revere him So we see this is not an addition to the poem. This is the explanation of the poem. And what we see in verse 9 is what does the worker gain from all his toil? We see our entrapment in time. So what do we gain from all of our toil? It's, it's just another proof of our uh, mortality. And then verse 10, I've seen the burden God has laid on men. So our labor feels like a lifelong affliction with no eternal results. I have a pretty dim view on, or he has a pretty dim view on work, right? But that's not what he's trying to get at, and we'll see it here. This is what it feels like. If you only look at things in the box, everything feels, feels futile. If you're not looking above the sun, what are your actions for? What are you striving for? What are you toiling for? Everything's a struggle. When God said that Adam was going to eat by the sweat of his brow, that related to every person here. And so we see this constant toil that man has to do. Verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So every aspect of life is appropriate appropriate in its time and should be accepted as such. So 
God has, has purposefully made things, actions correct in its time. But we don't know what, it, what time is correct and what time isn't. And we feel the need for ourselves and our work to be eternal. We have this internal desire that things that we do would last longer than we would last. That it would in some way defeat this, this box that we're in of time. And, but we're trapped in it. We're trapped in this time. And God's purpose and plan are outside of our understanding. And thus we have this sense of alienation and bewilderment in time. So time causes us to feel like, like we're inferior or like there's, there's something lacking. And God did this on purpose. God did this so that we would see we're not like God. That we can't obtain uh, some kind of immortality without the power of God. And when life is beating us down and when we feel like things are, are overwhelming, that's on purpose. So that we'll run to Christ. So that we'll run to God. See, He's given us the Redeemer in Christ Jesus. We have the answer. And the reason why life feels so burdensome, so grievous, so difficult, is because it is. And it's that way for a purpose. It's that way because God wants you to run to Him. Because you can't obtain more immortality without Him. Your work will not be eternal if it's not His work. Verse 12, I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. Verse 13, they, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. So obviously, people prefer joy over sorrow. We all want to eat and drink and be happy. We all want to enjoy life. But the ability to enjoy life is a gift from God. So if we're in this box, if we're not looking above the sun, if we're just looking at earth and at our lives here, we will not find enjoyment. You will not be able to enjoy what God has given you. And I mean truly enjoy it. Because you're not looking above to God. He does this on purpose. So keep in mind that when we're struggling and we're striving, we're not doing it for ourselves. We're not doing it to build a legacy for ourselves. We're doing it for God. You know, I work in an environment, and I've told you guys this before, that, that it, it's tough. There's a lot of stress. There's always time deadlines. I, I have to document every 10 minutes of my time at work. I have to account for every 10 minutes of my time at work. My life is literally defined by time. When you're in the client service business and you charge clients for your time, you better have good records because if they ask why you're charging me this, you've got to show that you actually did the work. And so I have... I have at least 10 years of books that I can show you what I did every 10 minutes of my life. 
And it's pretty boring stuff, let me tell you. (laughs) So I understand what it is to be defined by time and to be constrained by time. There's never enough time. I have so many things coming at me, and most of you do. I mean, that's just work. That doesn't count, you know, things at home. And you've got to balance what's going on at home and what's going on at work. Who are you going to make mad this week? Your boss or your wife? You know, I mean, that's just stuff that has to happen. And, and you could make both happy if you had more time. But you just don't. And so you're constantly confined by this time. And it's God's reminder to us that we are mortal. And that God sets things in eternity. And God's work is eternal. All the activities of man will be called into judgment. Everything we do will be tested and judged by God. Verses 15 through 17. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will judge, bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity and every deed. So you wonder, all your activities, all the things that you do, all the things that man does here on earth, and, and we look at it and we go, you know what, this world is lacking ju- justice. You know, this, this world is, is unfair. You know, we see crooks get rich. And we see, you know, uh, we, if you watched, read the Wall Street Journal yesterday, they showed these four mob bosses on the, on, on the front of the Wall Street Journal that they just arrested. You know, those are the people that prosper in this world. And these guys finally got caught. But if you look at them, they're all old. I mean, they're, they're gray-haired, and you know what? They should have been caught 20, 30 years ago. But they probably are paying off the judges, paying off the police, and where in the courts where there should be justice, there wasn't. And that's the way this life is. And, but we know one thing. We know that God is going to call every activity into judgment. And... We don't know. We're mortal. We don't know whether our activities will be judged good or not. There are lots of activities that I do on a daily basis that I wonder, what's my motive behind doing it? I may be doing the right thing, but why am I doing it? And some things I'll do selfishly and not even know I'm doing it for the wrong motives. And all those things are going to be called into judgment. So I don't know as a mortal man what I will be judged when I get to heaven. I do know this, that my, that my eternal life is secured in Christ Jesus. But I do not know the rewards I will get in heaven. For there are two judgments in the end times. And that is the judgment of the believers, which is based on your actions, whether your activities under the sun were for God's glory and for His purpose or for yours. And you get rewards, uh, crowns in heaven based on that. And then there's the judgment of the non-believers, which is whether you knew Christ or not. And that's salvation, whether you get into heaven or not. 
So, not only do we, you need Christ to get into heaven, but then after, we need to make sure that our activities aren't for under-the-sun purposes. They're not for this box. That God has already alleviated the pain in this box. He's already taken care of that with Christ Jesus on the cross. That our Redeemer has already come. And that although it doesn't feel like it at times, that we have the, the problems of this world are taken care of. And that it's our duty to now help God work His plan within the box. And we can only do that by giving our deeds to God and letting Him, uh, letting him work through us. And so we see in, in, in 6 verse 15 that no one can alter the fundamental nature of the world, including the oppression that humanity inflicts on itself. God seeks justice for the persecuted. God will hold the persecuted accountable for their actions, or the persecutors accountable for their actions. No one can pass through the cycles of life uh, while under the oppression of a corrupt political party. So there's, there's no way under the oppression of, of government, under the oppression of people, that you can enjoy life if you're under oppression. It's just, it's, it can't be done. But we know that God will hold these people accountable and hold us accountable if we're oppressing others. For in the places of justice, uh, there is wickedness. And verse 17, in God's time, He will bring both every deed into judgment and righteousness will be upheld. So our mortality, man's mortality, is a constant reminder of our impending judgment. That our actions will be judged. And that what we, we have this, this embedded eternal desire for our activities to have some kind of impact uh, on the future. That what we do here isn't completely wasted. And whether man goes to heaven or hell is not in his judgment, but God's. So keep this in mind as we read verses 18 through 21. It's also amazing if, when we read these verses how much Sunday school will tie into church. Uh, but I also thought, as for men, God tests them so that they may see they are like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals, and the same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward, and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work, because that is not his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? So the text goes into God desires people to see that in some way they're like the animals. If we look un under the sun in this box... You can only come to one conclusion. That if you take God out of this world, we are no different than the animals. 
It's exactly what evolution says, right? That, that that's where we came from. I always, as a kid, I always had, I told this in Sunday school the other day, I always had a problem with evolution because I had been to the zoo and saw gorillas. And I saw what they did with their finger and where they'd put it. And I knew that I was not a descendant of them. You can just watch them for a little while. If you want to say that you're from a gorilla, that, that is fine. But just go watch them for a little while and then you tell me. Because it's a far cry from where I want to come from. I'd much rather say that I was created in the image of God, not in the image of gorilla. So as a kid, that always bothered me. But, you know, if you put us in this box, if you take away God, we are no different than the animals. So if you do that, then man's fate is the same fate as the animals. Verse 19, the same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. You know, all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over animal. That's the logical conclusion if you take God out of the box. If you're under the sun, the only conclusion is is that we're no different than the animals. And, And in fact, if you listen, listen to evolutionists, they will tell you exactly that. And then in this, on the second breath, they will tell you, but our life can still have purpose and meaning. Yeah, how? How, how can it do that? Well, we can help alleviate the pain of humanity. Oh yeah? We've been trying for 10,000 years. How well has that worked? You know? It hasn't. And the reason is, is because the the nature of humanity, the nature of earth was both cursed at the fall. And our actions outside of God can't do anything to change that. That is why we needed a Redeemer. That is why God promised a Redeemer. That is why God sent His only Son to die on the cross. And that is what makes us different than the animals. When it says that Everything is, you know, man has no advantage over the animals. Verse 19, everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. That's the only thing that evolution has right, is that we came from the dirt. You're exactly right. When they say we came from the dirt, that we did. God took the dirt, He formed it, and then He blew life into it. That's the problem they have. That's the That's the part they're missing. That the dirt didn't just magically appear life. That God blew life into it. That's the difference between us and the animals. Is that we were created in the image of God. So, and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward or if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. If, If we have this view of just this box. There's no eternity. Even though our soul longs for eternity, there is no eternity. And you know, frankly, all of us sitting here, we only know that we have eternity through the promise of Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. Besides that, we have no shot at eternity. It's nothing we can do. We cannot in some way obtain immortality without the power of God. 
We cannot become like God in the sense of being having everlasting life without His power. And we can't have an impact. Our activities will not have no beauty, will have no meaning, will have no, uh, will have no purpose without them being in the will of God. For God's work lasts forever. Man can't take away from it and he can't add to it. We can only do the work of God. You know, this concept has come up lately in the last five years or so. I remember hearing it about seven years ago from uh, when I was in uh, doing estate planning. And this concept of legacy. I'm sure you've all heard it lately. You know, what's your legacy going to be? And I hear, I hear it all the time now in the church. And on, when I listen to Moody and stuff, I'll, I'll hear the word legacy. And I, and I understand they're trying to use it for a good purpose. But you know what? Your legacy is nothing. If, you, if you're trying to make a legacy for yourself, then you've just defeated the whole purpose. If you're working for God, you shouldn't have a legacy. Your legacy is His legacy. It's a backwards concept. You know, the man inside the box is somehow trying to beat death by living throughout, forever through a trust or through some you know, no, Nobel Prize. You know why the Nobel Prize was created? You know why Nobel created the prize? If anyone knows what Nobel did, he was creator of TNT, of dynamite. He didn't want his name to be associated with dynamite and destruction, so he created the Nobel Prize so that his legacy would not be the creation of dynamite, but this prize and something good. But his legacy will soon be over. You know, no one even knows what he did. They just know the Nobel Peace Prize. They, they don't know what he really did. And, and much in the same way, we're trying to in some way have, you know, touch eternality through this legacy. Well, our legacy shouldn't be ours. If we're thinking about our legacy, we're doing something wrong. We should be thinking about God and His work. Because it is God's work that is eternal, not ours. And all of our activities are, are but a blip in time. And so we come to a conclusion in verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work, because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? So, in the verses before we see that enjoyment is from God. So at the end of, his, of looking at time and our activities in time, what does the teacher do? But he focuses our eyes back up. Gets us out of the box. He brings us into the box and says, there is nothing here in this box. If you live your life in this box... It is all meaningless, utterly meaningless, vapid, a chasing after the wind. You're working hard, you're striving, you're toiling for nothing if you're toiling inside the box. It is only when you, find, you only find enjoyment and purpose if you look outside of the box, if you look above the sun. So in conclusion, 
As a result of the fall, the earth is cursed, and man's mortality became reality. Time was no longer defined by the sunrise and sunset, by the number, but by the number of days man would have to endure his new burden of survival, ushered in by his one act of disobedience. In cursing the earth and separating man from the tree of life, God has given man the tough task of working with no idea whether his actions will endure God's ultimate judgment. God has done this so that we will be humbled and realize that we can do no more than obey God and be content with His work, enjoying the blessings God has given us. The teacher is asserting that once again, humans are mortal. I don't know how many times I can remind you this, but you are mortal. You are going to die. However, we have overwhelming, this overwhelming feeling that we are eternal. You know, none of us would be here if we accepted the fact that we're just going to die and that's it. If we accepted the fact that we're going to die and that's it, I don't think we would waste our time here. So I think that proves in and of itself, at least for the people sitting here, that you believe there is more to this life than what's in this box. That your soul longs for eternality. So, you know, Plato gave the classic expression to the idea of an innate immortality. That is, that the soul is by its very nature immortal. The teacher is not denying an afterlife in this text, but merely focusing our attention to death and mortality. The teacher is showing us the need for God and the futility of our efforts to become eternal without His power. Our hope for eternal life must be founded in Christ and not ourselves. So if I can leave you with anything, is that everything is beautiful in its time. And birth and death and everything can be a beautiful activity. There's even a time for war because there's also a time for peace. And everything happen, can happen for good if it's in God's plan and, and God's will. So when you go out of here today and you, you, you know, you got to wake up on Monday morning tomorrow and you feel overwhelmed by all that life brings you, the checking account never goes far enough, the kids are never satisfied with what you give them, the parents always thought they, that you could do better, you know, these things are, are, are always the burden of life. And you feel like the laundry never gets done, and the dishes always sit there, and no matter how much you do them, they're still piled up. I, I swear, the laundry, it's, it's, if we could have cash that would pile up like laundry, man, life would be good, wouldn't it? But... It's there for a reason. It's that way on purpose. God did this for a reason. When He cursed the ground, it was for our benefit. It was so that we would see we are mortal. That we are in need of a God. 
a loving God. A God that even though we're going through this grievous world and that we, we, it's difficult, and even for Christians it is. And if you look at Christ's life, Christ wasn't always happy. Christ cried. Christ was tormented. You know, when he was about to be, when he was about to be put on the cross, he just prayed. His whole being was distressed. When Paul and, and Saul, when uh, Paul and Barnabas were were witnessing throughout Asia, there were points where they felt so deeply distressed that they thought they were going to die. That they just felt overburdened by the world. And these are the great men of of faith. You know, that's he did this so that we would run to him, so that we would pursue his glory and not our own. Because without him, there is there is no activity under the sun that has any meaning. And so I just want you to realize that there is a need for Christ. And that God has given us an out. And if you're at your wit's end and you don't see there's any hope or any courage, encouragement or that life is just too overbearing and that it's all dark and dim, that that's not in fact the case that you're looking inside the box. You're looking under the sun and that there's a hope and that there's a promise outside the box that God has given us. And it's Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, and His death on the cross. And the hope of the the forgiveness of sin that we received from His death, but the hope that we received from His resurrection. We praise You because we are not worthy. There is nothing we have done that deserves salvation, Lord. But that You've given us Grace, the abundant free gift of grace through your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise you and thank you for that. And we ask as we go out today, we're soon going to forget about what was preached and focus on the bears. But win or lose, Lord, you are in control. And we just pray that we'd realize that our activities won't have any meaning outside of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.